This is episode 82 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. We're continuing with Men's Roundup 2011 with John Lynch. This is session three from Saturday night. Whatever the word sacred means, this is it. Man, man. I am not supposed to be ministered to. I'm supposed to bring stuff. And I, I, man, man, I am, I'm undone tonight. Um, Tell you my story real quickly. Um, I grew up in a home, uh, Upland, California. My dad was a Mensa atheist, incredible man. Incredible moral man, but he was a Mensa atheist. And we, I grew up not just not hearing about God, but hearing about God in a derogatory way, in a mocking way. And I had a great life. High school, I was um, the student body president and an all-state baseball pitcher, and my girlfriend was the homecoming queen. It was, it was really great to be John Lynch. <laughs> and uh, I got to pitch at Arizona State. And then uh, my freshman year, or well, actually playoffs in high school, I blew out my arm, uh, what they would call later Tommy John uh, injury. And um, And this is where the story gets really sad. My girlfriend left me. (laughs) For a better picture. (laughs) I don't blame her. He had a curve that could drop off a table. I I mean, I was attracted to him, to be honest with you. But something, she had known me for so long, um, almost all the way through high school. She, golly, she was incredible. She had seen me in all of who I was, and she was willing to go away. And I was devastated. All the shame, all the stuff, all the crap that I carried, that I thought maybe if this person loved me, maybe I was not that person. But when she left, if someone gets close enough to me, eventually they'll want to go away. And so I just checked out. This jock, this kid who had never had two beers in his life, checked out. And I, I started hanging out with a guy who did a lot of dope and a lot of acid and I did a lot of dope and a lot of acid and I slept with women who were not my wife. And I, I wandered for a long, long time. I had a 60 VW and I would just wander around the country. I would do radio talk shows to myself at night. As Bob Richards down the air, what's your gripe, what's your complaint? I ended up in Tucson where I 
um, worked my way to the position of spray painting addresses on curbs. <laughs> and I was, um, I was giving my plasma to be able to buy dope. And somewhere in there, I had this thought, you know what, I ought to be a teacher. <laughs> there, kids, come, follow me. <laughs> and I went back up to Phoenix, and I, I went back to school, and I got my teaching certificate to teach high school. And um, I ended up teaching high school at a place called Arcadia High School in Phoenix, Arizona. Taught English and drama. In the first play I cast, I had no idea, but two-thirds of the kids were young life kids. One man, one evening. Yeah. And they would stay after rehearsal, and they would share Jesus with me. Where I would no more listen to you guys, I had every defense about, what about the people in India? I had a, every single defense against you, but I had none against them. They were just kids. And at that same time, somebody gave me a Keith Green album. And then somebody gave me a Bob Dylan Slow Train Coming album. And I don't know what you think about Bob Dylan, but whoever wrote those songs knows Jesus really, really well. And then I got the... The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, and I kept reading the scriptures, I kept reading the gospels, and I kept f wanting to believe that such a person existed, but I had this terror, this fear, that if he would know me, he would eventually, I would do something to screw it up, and I would, even though I was falling in love with him, I thought he would go away. December 23rd, I was getting up. I was lacing up my shoes to go run, and I went, what is happening? And God did not come to me peaceably. It was like he knew that this was near the end. I was getting stoned all the time and bluffing and pretending and trying so hard to hold it together, but I was going down. And I could there was this voice in my heart that said this, turn around, turn around. And this picture of this one saying, could I have done this if I was gonna go away? Turn around. I love you so much. I know everything from the beginning to the end. I've seen every bit of it, and I want you now. And I fell on my knees. I didn't know what else to do, and I just, in whatever clumsy way, said, Jesus, please come into my heart. Please, whatever that means, forgive my sins. I want you. I don't care, even if I don't stay long, whatever. I have to have you. And he came into my heart that day. I said, you're the son of God. You're my God. And in that moment, and every single moment since, I no longer believe 
that I can't be known and be loved in all that I am. Amen. Thank you, brother. It was so, it was so crazy. I, I felt this unbelievable power. Not everybody does. My wife doesn't even know when she became a believer, and she, none of this, all this stuff always sounds so strange to her. But I always like, I was God man. I was suddenly, after all these years of not knowing him, I was now at 27, this guy who loved Jesus, and I was going to ride across the country on my bicycle and tell people about Jesus with a sleeping bag and go into coffee shops, and I, I was just going to change the world because I knew if I came and if Dylan was on, then the boat door was going to close soon. I knew that. <laughs> I remember, I felt like I could, anywhere I went, I could go up to people and go, you sir, there, standing over there in the supermarket, yes, fall on your knees, ask Jesus in your heart. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> and it still feels now like the dust has not settled. It still feels today that I cannot believe that I was chosen from before the world began. This one who used to swear his name. How did I get to stumble in? Open your Bibles to um, John. Gospel of John. Go to 1334. M maybe first, go to 1415. I'm just bluffing at this point. I don't have anything. Uh, I want to say something. Um, there, there's a verse in Scripture that says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can trust it? And people preach it all the time, and we believe it all the time, and, and we'd be, except there's only one little problem with that. If you're a believer, it's not true about you. At all ever. Your heart is not deceitfully wicked and it can be trusted. You've got Christ in you. On your worst day, you're fused with him and I can't tell where he drops off and where I start up. And that is the truth. And that is the gospel. It is it is the job of those who teach Scripture, one of the major jobs to take the boogeyman out of Scripture. You have a good and a noble heart because Christ is in you. That's who's in you on your worst day. You see, it's not just that we have to read Scripture more. You can read, it's like a golf swing. You can perfect a bad golf swing until it's horrible. <laughs> I know this. This swing never does, I can perfect it, but it's, I'm still going to shoot a 156. <laughs> um... But guys, I have to look through a new lens. My shame will have me read this book eventually as, what's wrong with you? When will you? Why don't you? 
You should. You ought. Come on. You're not enough. And if you don't get this right, one of these days, something really bad's going to happen. You watch. Come on now. And the scriptures instead, they say, Oh, lad, this is who you are. You can. This is you, my friend. And so when I come to these scriptures where Jesus is talking, and, and we read in, in 14, 15, and he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We read it often, and it's preached often as, if you love me, if you say you love me, you better keep me commandments, you ought to. Oh, I ought to take the whole lot of you and whack you. <laughs> say you love me then come on keep some commandments won't you I'll make you walk the plank (laughs) do you know that it doesn't say that (laughs) do do you know that it says because you love me because you receive my love because of who you are now in me Hey, kid, you will keep my commandments. You watch as my love flows through you and you discover who you are. Oh, oh, by the way, there's only one anymore. We got rid of some. There's one commandment, 1334, a new commandment I give to you, that you get to love each other. Just as I've loved you. He says, look, this is not the 11th commandment. There's one commandment now. And you now have the heart for it. For the very first time in history, since the cross, we are the only ones who have ever been able to obey this commandment and not have us inflamed. Remember the 10 commandments, that's all it was for. Show the holiness of God and cause you to be rebellious. The law said, don't walk on the grass. And you're thinking, I wasn't planning on it. But now that the sign's there, I will walk on it as much as I can. (laughs) It did all that so that I would cry out for a savior. So that I would see myself as I was. Now listen. One commandment. One commandment and you have the heart for it. And so he's saying in 1334, kid... I'm going to give you this gift. You get to do that which you were made for. You get to love. And my new nature cries out, This is me. And so what's that? How's that played out? Galatians, again, I read it this morning. Remember where it says, 6-2? If you bear one another's burdens... That's the way you get to do it, he says. You'll fulfill that one law, that one commandment of Christ. You'll actively be, if love is a process of meeting needs, and it is, then you'll actively be able to keep the one commandment that you're wired to do. Unbelievable gift. So, that's why Paul says, do you understand what we're doing here, you guys? We get to be the ones who get to love. In our role, guys, men, 
I want to say to you, there is something about our role, the way God has made us, the influence. I'm ahead in my marriage. I have this privilege to get to do something. I get to earn the right to influence my, my kids, my wife, my friends, the people who I serve as an elder in my church. I get this incredible privilege to play this out in such a beautiful way. Every single one of us. It is so stinking good to be a man because a man is a protector. I wonder if, if when we all get home, if he's just going to have a, a period of time where he just talks to us as men and says, you guys, you did it. Watching that film today of the fathers to the, the fatherless, you did it. Men, thank you. We do it for children, for wives, for friends, for ministry team members, for the broken and wounded and fragile around us, for leaders who are alone in their leading. Listen to me. There are no together people, just us. There are no religious people. There's no clergy and laity. There's just us. I've been around long enough now to watch. There are no together people, just those who dress better. And everybody, everybody needs protection. We're just bluffing like we don't and afraid to ask for it. In this book that we wrote a while back, uh, Bo's Cafe, we talk about this beautiful awakening where I would awaken to the pain of realizing I can't control my world the way I thought I could. Stuck with unresolved issues whose symptoms whose symptoms I'm trying to fix without the help of anybody else. Awakening to the pain of realizing I can't control my world the way I thought I could, stuck with unresolved issues, and I don't even know what they are. I'm just trying to fix the symptoms, and I'm doing it without the help of anyone else. Now, I just described a lot of people in this room that you're sitting next to, and they don't even know how to ask you. They don't know what their issues are. They, don't, they just keep shooting themselves in the foot and they don't know why. And their marriages are hurting and their relationships with their children are hurting and they don't know how to say it. They don't even know what to do. And so they just keep a good game face on and they bluff. We also say, Oh, lads, what if there was a place so safe that the worst of me could be known and I would discover that I would be loved more in the telling of it, not less. Oh, oh now we're on to something. What if there was a place in your church, in your family, in your friendships, in your small group, in the group that you brought here, what if there was a place so stinking safe that the worst of me could be known and I wouldn't lose my seat at the table. I wouldn't be pitied. I wouldn't be loved less, but I'd be loved more. Do you know that there are friends begging and waiting? They've been filled with Christ's spirit, and they're saying, please, kid, I'm longing to love you, and I'm waiting. So, 
How do I get to influence? I have to earn trust. There's an ocean of difference between authority and power and role that can demand right behavior and permission to influence that comes out of a trusted, safe relationship. That guy who was here last year, Bill Thrall, he taught me all this. He protected this kid when he was a mess and earned my trust. He was the first man whose trust, um, who earned my trust, who I let protect me. You can learn information and knowledge from anyone, and our churches are filled with brilliant information. They know the Bible as information, but truth comes in from the heart, and the heart has to come under it to receive it. You cannot gain, so important to hear, you can't gain wisdom and insight and discernment and humility without trust, without coming under. So if I don't trust this word, I can get information about it, but I won't get wise, I won't get discerning, I won't get insightful. I won't know how to apply it to life unless I come under. The same's true in our relationships. God makes us God, Jesus, with flesh on, that, we, that I have to have relationships with you that I come under, or, I'll, or else I keep learning the same year full of information 50 times over. See, love is the process of meeting needs. Nothing less, nothing more. Anything else is hallmark sentimentality. And, and here's the problem. We are terrified of having needs to have them be met. We don't want to have needs. I'm going to say something. Do you know that you were actually intentionally created with limitation so you could be loved? Listen, if you have no needs, you have no limitation, you never get loved. I can admire you, I can respect you. Do you, do you know that God created you with needs, with limitation, so that you could get loved? See, here's the tragedy. We, in our church today, everybody's supposed to be okay. We're doing fine. Doing fine. Shoot. And so I put on the mask. Yeah, hey, hey, you know, you always come with a high greeting. Hi, how are you doing, man? Doing great. All right, tiger, back at you. <laughs> and here's the problem. When I wear a mask, only my mask gets loved. And in frustration, desperate, I keep trying more and more masks, hoping that they will work. So to the degree that I trust you is the degree to which I'll let you love me no matter how much love you have for me. What does that mean for us, men? It's so huge. I think about my kids, Caleb and Amy and Carly. I loved them so much. I discovered myself never ever even wanting to be a parent. And now I was, and I had these three children who I adored, and I wanted so much for them to trust me so that I could give them all that God had made me for them. So protectors are looking for a way in. What will it take for them to be trusted enough to influence with wisdom and insight and discernment with the goal of heartfelt obedience to Jesus?
Otherwise, you get hiddenness. Hiddenness. If you're not safe, if you're not trusted, the people around you will hide from you. They will put on an appearance in front of you. Many kids and grandkids and, and friends, they live double lives. They're afraid to tell about the junk in them and, and that they don't know what to do with. They are afraid to tell about the junk in them that they don't know what to do about. And so they live in appeasement as long as they're under your roof. But then they go to college or somewhere else and they're playing a double life. And when you come and visit them, hey, we're doing fine. Everything's fine. My son Caleb went to a great Christian college and he got there and so many of the people around him were sleeping with their girlfriend and getting trashed on the weekends. He said, what are, what are we playing? It's this reality, you guys. They came from worlds and from homes where it wasn't real. Do you know that 80%, up to 80% of kids in Christian homes, once they get out of that home, they don't go to church anymore. They're just saying it's a game. Because many of them didn't have dads who were protectors, who said, kid, I'm here, and there's nothing you're going to tell me that's going to send me away. And your behavior is less important than our relationship. And you learning dependence upon Christ. Do you understand this is true? If the consequences for telling on myself are the same as getting caught, then guess what I'll do? I will never tell on myself. Think about that with kids. If the consequences for telling on myself are the same as getting caught, I'll always wait for you to catch me. The greatest gift that you can give a young person or a maturing adult or a maturing believer is a safe place to fail. It's less important, you guys. I wish we could understand this for our children, for our families, for our friends, for our parents. It's much less important that anything ever gets fixed because things don't get fixed, but that nothing ever has to be hidden. We, we, we write about it in, in here. Um, Carlos says, Ever notice when someone tries to fix someone else, they, that person doesn't stay fixed? It's like trying to fix a slinky by straightening it out and sitting on it. <laughs> he says, you ever own a slinky, man? Sitting there, you think you really got a handle on straightening stuff out. You're controlling your universe. You're all that. But no matter how long you sit, when you get up, that slinky springs right back. Only now it's all bent up, too. Do you guys understand this frightening reality? The only way for me to stop, the only way for me to stop sin that I am contemplating is not trying harder to not do it. <laughs> All you're doing is building the pleasure. All you're doing is delaying the inevitable. The only way to stop sin that you are contemplating is for you to call out to a trusted friend. Excuse me, period. The only way for you to stop a sin that you are contemplating 
is to come out of hiddenness and find someone that you can say, hey, 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 help, help, I need to talk to you. That's why this is such a stinking big deal, because in that moment, sin loses its power by you giving up rights to it by revealing it. That's why we're creating these relationships so a moment like that can happen, so you can get a phone call, so that that person is safe enough with you to say, I'm done. This is freaking me out. I don't want to hide. I don't want to get caught. Help me, I'm thinking this again. See, uh, so many of those books on pornography, they, 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 they're wonderful, but they're only, they're only addressing that moment of temptation. You want to be that friend who has the privilege to get back way back here to the, what starts that cycle. Because all that action over here, that sin, that, that choice to sin, you, you know it just didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of a theology way, way back here. It came from these statements. It, it's like a black spot in front of my eyes that keeps light from coming in. It's made up of these statements, and maybe more, but at least these. God... I don't think you can satisfy me as much as this sin. Two, God, I've always been this way. It has always won, and I don't believe you are powerful enough to change that. Three, God, there is something uniquely and particularly wrong with me. And four, God, I don't think you've been fully good to me. I think you've held out on me, and I think you've given me a second best life. All those are permissions that give myself entitlement to come here. For you to be that safe protector who gets to go drill down with another friend on those issues and talk them through the reality and the sovereignty and the beauty and the love of Jesus Christ, there, there is no higher honor on this earth, no greater privilege. See, the objective is not to create communities appearing to have sin under control, but for leaders to nurture a safe and real enough place where people can come out of hiding to let others into their sin and their failure. In that place, sin loses power and we can be healed. Trusting Christ's redemption and forgiveness and repentance, it is really messy, but it is utterly healthy. And those who live in it, they become free. Oh, oh, and by the way, they end up sinning much less. Stacy and I built our home on this conviction that if we could nurture an environment where we were winnable, vulnerable, relevant, affirming, and appealing to their new nature, where our faith in God was genuine and contagious, where we were committed to earning trust and giving trust and forgiving and testing out grace, fully engaged, desiring to know the, their deepest hearts, that our three kids would have a great life no matter what they faced. That was our conviction. I hear this statement a lot. Kids have plenty of friends. 
They don't need me to be a friend. They need me to be a parent. That's what they need. I don't want to be their friend. I want to be their parent. That may be maybe the most inane statement I know. What? If you are not their friend, you don't get to parent. Except to maybe enforce rules. And so there's a lot of ways a protector lives us out. Affirmation is one of the sweetest ones. Affirmation. It protects our kids and our family and our friends by letting them know who they are and protecting them from a need to prove themselves or brag about themselves. Affirmation that says, I know who you are. I see Christ in you. And it's beautiful. And I want to show you how I see it. I want to tell it to you. Affirmation that gives to give and doesn't give to get. Do you know what it does? It never, ever, ever, like ever, puffs up the heart. Ever. It never makes you cocky or arrogant. Affirmation that gives to give. You know what it does? It humbles the heart. It breaks my heart and wants me to do more of that for which I'm being affirmed. I must also convince them of the power of living out of their identity of Christ in me and not sanctified self-effort. You guys, when, when I talked about a new lens of seeing Scripture, there has to be a new lens also of how do I present Scripture? What am I appealing to? There's two things you can appeal to. You can appeal to my flesh, or you can woo out my new nature to come out and play. And the difference is stinking huge. If you appeal to my flesh, you're saying, come on now, let's go, let's do it, that's the right thing. But you know that my flesh does not respond. Do you know what responds is my new nature? And for you to woo it out and to come out and play, that's, do, do you understand that's who I am? Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And the old John Lynch no longer exists. But Christ lives in me, fused with me. And the life that I now live, while I still have this skin, I live by trust in the Son of God. I trust His power in me. I trust His ability in me. No longer am I putting on a show to impress Him with my independent ability. I'm trusting that there is power. That's why right after Romans 7, when Romans says, Oh, wicked man that I am, what shall happen? He says two things. One, you're not condemned, and second, there's a Holy Spirit. And you are fused with him. You've got to teach your kids that. You've got to teach your friends that. You've got to stop being the moralist who says, you shouldn't be doing that, you should be doing that, and if you don't, you're going to get grounded. Instead, it'll take wound out their new nature. Remember that in Romans, that incredible statement, sin will not be master over you because you're no longer under buck-upism, you're no longer under moralism, you're no longer under the law, but you're under grace. So sin will not be master over you. 
It's also true, John 15, 9, that says, oh my gosh, if my kids get this, Jesus saying <clears throat> to all of you, as my Father loves me to the exact extent that my Father loves me, so I love you and you and you. Jesus says, to the exact extent that my dad loves me, and I'm thinking, call me old-fashioned, but I think that's some big love. He says, to that exact extent, Jesus says, I love you and you and you. What? Yeah. Yeah. To be trusted, I'll have to be winnable. My kids will forgive me any failure, thousands and thousands of times. The thing they can't forgive is when I, I don't own it, is when I power up and I play, I get to win because of my role and because I have, I'm louder and I'm smarter and I'm older and I'm more mature and I, I have all the toys and, and I have the authority. If I pull rank and don't own when I've hurt them, they won't trust me. I have to give them the gift of processing their wrong in private instead of shaming them in front of the rest of the family. I had a friend call me a little while ago and he said, John, what do I do? I'm calling you before I do anything. I'm so mad at him. He was mean to his sister again. And, and, and I, I want to ground him. I want to take his phone away and tie him up and, and, and sell him. <laughs> What do I, I just thought I'd call you before I did that. <laughs> Great, hey, we're having dinner. Um, and I said, why don't you take him out for ice cream? He said, there's something wrong with the line. I can't hear you right. It sounds like you, you, sound like you said, take him out for ice cream. I said, yeah, I did. Because right now you're shaming him in front of his family, in front of his mom, in front of his sister, in front of his other brother. So why don't you say to the family, I'm taking him out right now and we're going to do some stuff. <laughs> and then take him for ice cream. And while you're out eating ice cream, just say, kid, that was hard, huh? So what happened? Did you hurt her? Yeah, I did. Shoot. I know. It's okay, kid. What do you think we ought to do? I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know. What if I made a way to where you could actually talk to her on your own and nobody else had to be around? And Do you want to tell her you're sorry? Because you've got a new nature. You've got Christ in you. Yeah, I kind of do. I feel bad about it. Let's go do it. You win your son's heart. He trusts you that you're not going to shame him. And you give him the permission for his new nature to come out and be wooed out. A great gift that you can give to earn trust is simply this one simple statement to be able to say to your child or to your wife or to someone who works under you these simple words. How am I affecting you? How am I affecting you? 
and you earn trust by telling them the truth of your life in words that they can understand age-appropriate. You tell them your fears and pains and failures and confusions and doubts. Let me tell you how, because oh, I imagine if I'm here like this, I imagine there's more of me. Let me tell you the battle that we're fighting every day. So, John Lynch is in fifth grade. He's a jock. He's a really good athlete. And I'm a real funny guy. And there's a kid named Donald Emmons, and he's a hood. He's a tough guy. And he beats kids up. He doesn't beat me up because I'm funny. And one day, he wants to go walk with me and go somewhere. And, and I'm in Upland, California, and we're walking along the train tracks, Donald Emmons and I, and we get into this train car because there's oranges stacked, stacked in this train car ready to go out. And we just sit in there and eat oranges. Kids did it all the time. And we went into the car. And Donald Emmons, who scared me to death, he said, um, I'm a fifth grader. I'm just a jock. I don't know anything. I'm innocent. And he says, I want you to do this to me. And I want you to let me do this to you. And I was so scared, I, I allowed him to physically violate me. And afterwards, I went home and I went, no, 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 that didn't, no, 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 no one will ever know that that didn't happen, that just didn't happen. And I never told anyone because I never felt safe. I never felt like there was any single person in my life that I could have told that to without losing my seat at the table. Do you know how long that I didn't tell anybody about that? Up until four years ago. After I wrote the book True Faced. A safe place where I'm convinced that you knowing the worst about me, you'll love me more, not less. I was afraid that my wife would leave me. I was afraid that my friends, I was afraid I'd lose my role as a pastor. I was afraid I'd lose my place at the table. And do you know what has happened? Grace. I'm loved more. Grace. 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 Now listen to me. There's not a man in this room who doesn't have something in his own heart that he's caring and he's scared to tell. So, how do you do this? What does it look like? I want to tell you one more story. I have a daughter. I have three kids. Caleb, Caleb is so cool. He, when I grow up, I want to be like Caleb. <laughs> Carly, the one who's at APU, has yet to sin. I know she sinned in Adam, but she has yet to actually sin. But Amy, my middle child, she was my stubborn one. And let me tell you about me. I never wanted to be a dad. I just wanted to be great. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be a great speaker. I wanted to be well-known. 
And there was a time in my life where I actually thought that that might happen. I still love Jesus, I love my family, but Amy needed my full attention. She needed me fully present, and I wasn't there. And I lost her heart. And she went hidden, and she had a relationship with a boyfriend that was not a great kid. He was a good kid, but he just was from just a bad background and, and, and was treating her wrongly, and I couldn't get her out of the relationship. And I realized, I'm losing my, I'm losing my daughter, and I don't know what to do. I'm going back through the book that I helped write and going, okay, what was in here again? And I'm going, uh, I, I, how, how do I do this? How do I, how do I get my daughter? She doesn't trust me anymore. She doesn't trust that when the chips are down that I will be there. So she's gone on and she's self-protecting. And so um, I said, Father, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. I'm scared. And I started taking her out. I would go to Wendy's and get her a Jamocha shake and I'd... And she would go with me begrudgingly, and I'd go into the car, and we'd drive up to 32nd Street in Lincoln, and then go up on the hill overlooking the city, and, and I would, she'd have her shake, and we'd sit there in the car. And her arms were folded. And the first time, she was so mad, she just didn't want to say anything. She didn't say anything. And then we went back down the hill. I thought, well, God, whatever that was, that wasn't it, probably. <laughs> And I took her back again, got another Jamocha shake, went up 32nd Street to Lincoln, up, up the hill. And each time she'd speak in one or two word bits. We went up that hill 10 times. And one time I said, Amy, I can't lose you. I'm, I'm, I'm losing you and I'm sorry. I will go be a mailman in Grass Valley. I'll quit everything, but I can't lose you. You're the most important thing in my life. And for whatever reason, she broke down that day and said, Dad, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm hurting, and I'm hurting people, and I need help. And that started us on a series of once-a-week meetings before school when she had late start. And I'd talk with her, and we would just talk about anything she wanted to talk about. We ended up going through Proverbs. Gosh, was that fun. We ended up going through 2 Timothy and then 1 Peter. And six months later, I went out to her car to get something out of her car. And I saw all across her dash three-by-five cards with verses from all those scriptures and things that I had told her taped to her dash. And I knew my daughter was safe. I knew that I had won her heart back. That Jesus had given me the grace to win her heart back. Now listen to me. I was a neglectful dad. I'm going to show you in a second here a video that, that um, they made about a letter that she wrote to me for, for my birthday. And I want you to hear... If this can happen for me, if this letter can come to me, it can come to all of us, and it is never too late. 
You guys, we get to be these protectors, and sometimes we don't figure it out till we're grandpas. But I want you to watch this and then realize, Jesus Christ, you are that strong and you're that good to even such as us. Something inside of me just clicked. 